the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Has any day ever felt more like a Thursday than today? Bill, welcome back. Glad to have you back here. Uh, A lot to do, regardless of whether the day begins with a W or a T. They all end in a Y. That means we're going to be busy. Uh, And that's good. We're supposed to be. We're supposed to be busy. I was thinking a little bit uh, more last night after the show about this uh, memo from Attorney General Merrick Garland threatening – and not threatening, saying he is going to be deploying the FBI to challenge, investigate, and uh, protect school board members from parents speaking to them harshly, strongly, critically. And I, it, I, it connected a couple thoughts I didn't yesterday until after the show. Is kind of one of those, I wish I would have said things, esprit de la scale, as I think it's called. And... It was the connection of what you saw here, by the way, at ASU with those two female students racially assaulting the two male students at the quote-unquote multiculturalism center at ASU. By the way, still under investigation as I understand it. I don't know how much there is to investigate. I think we can all see what happened there, but I get it. That's the world we live in. I show you the times as said in the man for all seasons, but... One of the girls said uh, to one of the men, uh, speech is violence. And, of course, that is the justification, unarticulated, sotto voce, if you will, behind the thinking that you can actually curb speech, that you can actually censor speech by weaponizing FBI agents or the federal government against it, political speech. And it dawned on me that's another version of it, because once you can create a violent thing out of a nonviolent thing, an action out of a verb, then you are able to justify doing anything you want to do, including canceling, censoring, sending to Coventry. For too many years now, too many people have bought into this notion that speech is violence, and they have been using that to censor and shut down speech. Political speech, the most protected form of speech there is or should be, at least according to every Supreme Court case on the First Amendment till about yesterday. I often like to quote Robert Jackson, who said this the same year Norman Rockwell painted that famous freedom of speech painting. If there is any fixed star in our constitutional constellation, it's that no official higher petty can prescribe what shall be orthodox in politics, nationalism, religion, or other matters of opinion, or force citizens to confess by word or act their faith therein. If there are any circumstances which permit an exception, they do not now occur to us. Close quote. By the way, if that's true of words... What about something you inject into your body? Can we prescribe that? Can we force that? There's another thing we may look at 
that we've shrugged off for too many years, and many of you have heard me on this. And it's kind of a new view of constitutionalism or America that we just kind of shrugged away. When we heard these kinds of arguments in the past, we would say things, well, that's what happens with college students or on college campuses. The kids will be fine. They'll be fine. We'll all be fine. This insouciance over time across many novel views has amounted to a surrender and a very degraded state, not just of our constitution, but the notion of constitutionalism, not just affecting Americans, but affecting America. The criminalization of speech and the far-reaching effort to collapse categories and literally redefine, redefine what speech is. You've heard me critique the idea that we now call freedom of speech, freedom of expression, a phrase nowhere found in the First Amendment, because by that turn of phrase, that change of phrase, we've been able to get used to the notion that certain forms of violence constitute speech. We've never said speech constituted violence, but we have seen certain forms of violence constituting speech. Flag burning comes to mind as but one example. That is a case of violence equating to speech. But until now, we have turned down the notion that speech can be the same as or equivalent to violence. We haven't, in other words, punished speech because it's ever reached the level of violence. We have, however, degraded, downgraded, and not punished violence because it's considered speech. It's an interesting thing to remember and keep in mind because it shows you what speech is supposed to be, not punishable. Think of that philosophical point I'm making. It's an important one. By making violent acts, flag burning, speech, we're saying it's more protected. Do you get that? Do you get that? But by saying speech is violence, of course, then it can be prosecuted. Happy to talk more about that if that isn't clear. It's an important philosophical point. I haven't seen anyone write that up anywhere. Maybe I will. But in fact, the main, and we were discussing this with the Holmans yesterday, test of when speech can be considered incitement comes from a 1969 Supreme Court case protecting, of all things, a Klan rally, advocating, of all things, a march on Congress, and among other things, the court didn't find it to be incitement. The Brandenburg case of 1969, the controlling case of when speech leads to violence and can thus be sanctioned negatively, found for the defendants in the Brandenburg case. Klan leaders who called for a march on Congress. Speech has to be direct advocacy to direct imminent lawless action. The Supreme Court in 69 said the mere abstract teaching of the moral propriety or even moral necessity for a resort to force and violence is not the same as preparing a group for violent action and stealing it to such action. Does anyone know a school board member anywhere in this country or a parent of any child in this country who has addressed school board members who has prepared for violent action and stealing their groups to such action, I don't know of it. Speech has to be direct advocacy to direct imminent lawless action.
not even shouting epithets at morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, morning soldiers' funerals, blaming the soldiers' deaths on the corruptions of the country like they do at Westboro Baptist has been considered. Not even that has been considered a violation of free speech, a violation of the First Amendment rights by this court. In other words, sick as it is, even people shouting at funerals, denouncing the, 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 the slain or dead families buried, even that is protected speech under the First Amendment. Argue as you will with these understandings. They are very far cries from such things as parents showing up at school board meetings and speaking strenuously or, I don't know, Republicans saying fight much harder or uh, we're going to cheer on brave senators and congressmen and women and we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. As Donald Trump said on January 6th, you have to show strength and you have to be strong. None of that kind of stuff anywhere came close to a definition of illegality and incitement. Heck, Chuck Schumer saying directly, naming two justices, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch. You have released the whirlwind and will pay the price. That's not even incitement. Are we truly at a point where then showing up at a school board meeting and denouncing the school board leadership requires the FBI? Take care. Our jails will be very full with people whose names are Biden, Harris, and about 535 other elected members of the House and Senate we can think of who have said the same kinds of things parents say at these school board meetings. This is also part and parcel of the problem of converting the truth to my truth, and I'll get into that when we come back, and some really interesting COVID news and some really interesting challenges for one of the main news networks in America, ABC. Don't go away. A lot more to do. We'll be right back. The problem with coming in with a song like that is, is, is you've got to almost get to the chorus. Otherwise, people will have that as an earworm all day. You kind of got to satisfy the equation, right? We've got to get to help me, Rhonda. But that's all right. We got, we got Rhonda's name in there. That's for all the Rhondas out there. I was right before break going into a, another aspect of things having to do with truth, my truth, the truth. Anyone evidently can now just have their own facts. The most recent example, of course, was this idiot at George Mason University telling Kamala Harris that Israel is engaging in ethnic genocide. She smiles and nods and thanks her for telling her truth. It's a lie. It's an interesting thing when my truth can become a lie. Anyone can now just have their own facts, their own preferred set of facts. And the more people on your side, I guess that's your test of truth. Not any objective objective standard. Just, you know, 51 people out of 100. You know what that's called? That's called might making right. Not right making might. Of course, then, why have anything considered minority rights at all? 
Let us make no mistake about it. We're now entering the realm of criminalizing not just speech but politics. It's becoming a crime to become a, to be a Republican, in other words. It's becoming a crime to be a Republican. The problem is this simply is not democracy or a Republican form of government, small r. Abraham Lincoln gave it to us this way. According to our ancient faith, the just powers of governments are derived from the contest, from the consent of the governed. Allow all the governed an equal voice in the government, and that, and that alone, is self-government. Allow all the governed an equal voice, and that, and that alone, is self-government. You think you have an equal voice if you want to go to a school board meeting and challenge the school board? Or did the attorney general and FBI just put a chilling effect on your ability to do that? My teacher, Harry Jaffa, put it this way, quote, By the principles of the Declaration of Independence, majority rule in a free society is not an end in itself, nor is it a source of the purposes served by free government. Majority rule exists to secure the rights with which All human persons are endowed by their creator. The recognition of the origin of these rights in God and nature comes before any action of any majority. Only as we all recognize that the just powers of government exist to secure the equal rights possessed by every human being, whether in the majority or minority, can tyranny be prevented. So a minority loses, holds a rally, the president addresses them, and a part of that crowd, a part, a small part, goes on a rampage, and the entire Republican Party is tainted. During the riots over last summer, where as many as 30 people were killed and only 14,000 arrests were made, Kamala Harris said to Stephen Colbert that the BLM protests, quote, are not going to stop. She repeated it. They're not going to stop. They're not. This is a movement. I'm telling you, they're not going to stop. And everyone beware because they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November. And they're not going to stop after Election Day. And everyone should take note of that on both levels, that they're not going to let up. And they should not. And we should not. If I ever repeat myself as much as she does, let me know. They should not let up. Let's be clear. Nobody among us supports violence against our fellow citizens, anarchy, riots. We have criticized these things from the mountaintops, from the mountaintops. When CNN and MSNBC and Nancy Pelosi and other Democratic Party leaders refused to condemn the riots last year. Even giving them oxygen with such lines as Harris's or such financial help as came from Harris or Pelosi saying people will do what people will do. I suppose you have an element of that with Joe Biden saying that following Kirsten Sinema into a bathroom and shouting at her while on film is just a part of the process. Pause for a moment. Has this ever happened to Joe Biden before he had Secret Service? I bet not. I bet it's not part of the process. It's never been done to him. Now, for those to turn around and then ban all of us on social media is not just rich. It's not just hypocritical or to sick the FBI on us. It's un 
democratic. You've long heard me speak about how the left tries to shut us down by comparing us to or analogizing us to terrorists. Our views are extreme, just as al-Qaeda is extreme. We are fascists. We support someone worse than Hitler, is usual fare at CNN. All of this effort to marginalize us has now taken root in the Attorney General's office. First you plan the images, then after enough propaganda, after enough stage setting, after enough watering of the the ground, you execute. So every demagogic dictator took and takes power, whether it's the bourgeoisie who are to be blamed for being born into a certain class or dysgenic people for being born to the wrong race or religion. You create enough propaganda about them, you can then write them out of what you consider to be respectably human. And once that happens, they don't even get the equal rights guaranteed in the Declaration of Independence. Natural rights that adhere to every human. They just make us unhuman, less human. Untermenschen. I'll give you another Supreme Court justice. I gave you Roberts earlier. Benjamin Cardozo. Quote, of the freedom of speech, one may say that it is the matrix, the indispensable condition of nearly every other form of freedom, individual freedom. It doesn't actually mean anything if you can't think and say the things you want to having to do with our and your governance. It means nothing. If you can't speak about that, this is why we have a Bill of Rights after all, isn't it? To protect individual liberty. As Dr. Jaffa reminds, if safeguards of individual liberty do not have any intrinsic worth, then neither, neither does individual liberty. And if individual liberty has no intrinsic worth, neither, neither does individual life. And to take those rights away is not only a denial of any moral foundation of constitutionalism, it's a denial of any moral foundation of a political community. Why, after all, have a political community if you can't speak to the things you want the community to adopt, accept, or repeal, or change? I have a lot more on this. The FBI got me mad. It's not fair. The attorney general in this administration got me mad. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour brings us the great John Dombrowski, Jr. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. And he has a radio show, actually, right here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., the word on wealth. Happy Wednesday, John. Howdy. How's it going? Well, I was saying earlier, I've never felt a day... I've never known a day that felt more like a Thursday than today. For some reason, <laughs> I've been on Thursday all well, day let's long. Just call it Thursday. Thus, I've missed a lot of appointments. Yeah, <laughs> but not you, <laughs> not you. I have not. Mi- I well, I always miss you, but I didn't miss you. No. Well. Uh, talk to me a little bit. We're getting ready for corporations to start reporting mm-hmm. uh, their uh, third quarter results. That that'll tell us a few things about things, won't it? Yeah, you know, this is a, a, always a good time for us to get an understanding as to what's happening in the economy because uh, when companies report their earnings, they also report uh, or, or will project what they expect uh, future uh, earnings to be as well. Yeah. And so it gives us a little bit of an indicator as to what's happening. You know, we had Pepsi that reported a couple of days ago, 
and they topped their estimates even despite what they had uh, talked about a higher supply chain costs. So, and they also raised their uh, revenue for the future. So that was nice when they forecasted. So now Levi Strauss also beat here just uh, recently reported. And they believe, again, raising their outlook for um, the next quarter and their guidance. So just to start, uh, this this is starting to look as these uh, reports are going to be, um, at least for the few we've had, were a positive sign. So moving forward, as we start to get some of the more, um, maybe the tech companies we're looking for to see what's going to be happening with them, uh, because that's really what has driven the uh, markets here over the past decade has really been technology. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that's going to uh, pan out, but uh, I'm, I'm really looking closely at this, and it's going to give us a great indication as to what we can expect for uh, the fourth quarter as well. It's a good answer, too, to what I was saying yesterday, which is what do we usually think mm-hmm. around this time, or how right. do we usually think around this time as we're heading toward the end of the year about our economy? This sounds like it's one of the actual good answers, good in, fairly good end indicators. For the moment, but there are still going to be those who uh, may fall short of mm-hmm. what expecta- expectations may have been because of some of the shortages uh, that we've seen in some of the supplies. No question about it. Uh, you know, we're seeing um, the chip chip uh, sector is still suffering from uh, shortages worldwide here. Can I ask you, I, I, let me ask you this, something we haven't talked about in a while. We have a little bit in the past. There was a headline that came across my transom today that stock futures right now are slightly higher. Can mm-hmm. you explain what that means? So basically when we think of futures, the market closed uh, at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time today. Uh-huh. And at the end of the day, there's usually orders that are starting to come in for the following day. And if those orders uh, to purchase are greater than the orders to sell, then usually that's a positive for the futures moving forward uh, for the next day of trading. And that's what that means. So there's a there's more buy orders than sell orders out there for the market for tomorrow's opening. And that'll change throughout the evening if you watch the futures. Uh, they'll constantly be changing based on uh, those positions or those uh, orders that may be uh, being placed prior to the open of the market. Perfect, perfect. Uh, There's another story, and it's kind of maddening to me. Maybe it doesn't have to be, and maybe we can talk about it next time if if you uh, if 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 it's uh, new to you. But you mm-hmm. and I have talked about a lot of these student loan forgiveness plans, mm-hmm. and I yeah. noticed that the Biden administration has a new plan going on with Secretary uh, of Education Michael Cardona, where it's going to be doing more of that for people. If they work for the government. Yeah, and I saw it was about 550 Yeah, oh, you saw loans. the story too. I, I, okay. I didn't read it all, but yeah. I saw the headline. Isn't that a little across. weird? Um, yeah, isn't that weird? I yeah. think it is. I think that's – that's. Uh, it's, be... it's, a, it's a lot like what Bernie Sanders said two years ago when he said we're going to have full employment – and someone asked him, well, where will you find the jobs? And he said, we'll have them work for the government. Yeah, well, what it is, it's going to be an incentive. And I guess if you look at the way the private sector is trying to hire people right now, they're trying to give bonuses to bring people on board. Some uh, companies, publicly traded companies, uh, will also offer the opportunity to pay for higher education for their employees. Uh, and maybe in some cases, maybe they would pay off some of the student debt as well yeah. if it's a benefit yeah. to that company. Yeah. But for the government to just arbitrarily... Uh, do that. that that's <laughs> if you work for con- us, we'll yeah. give you a... Yeah. 
direct <laughs> right. competition yeah. with the private sector, yeah. and yeah. that's that's a real uh, a real blow to the and private a disincentivization sector. to people to work in the private sector. Exactly, yeah, exactly. It's right. a very odd. Yeah. JD, you covered a lot of territory. Yeah, today. we did today. Again, yeah. folks can get to us. Uh, contact us via our website at GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Schedule an appointment. Let's get you on in here and see what you're doing to plan for your future. Securities and advisory services offered to Clinton Securities LLC, a member of Finran Tipic and an investment advisor. Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC and Clinton Securities LLC are not affiliated. Bless you, sir. Thank you, sir. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As promised to callers last week who had a lot of follow-up questions, I said I would bring back our constitutional legal scholar in residence, Mr. Brett Johnson from the law firm of Snell & Wilmer. SWlaw.com is the website. Brett, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me, Seth. I appreciate it. You bet. You're going to be our legal scholar in residence. We probably need to give you a name, right? Like the Louis Brandeis legal scholar in residence, or something like that. That would be great. Robert Jackson's my favorite justice. Can I? Would you be? Would you be okay with the Robert Jackson? You know, we're going to endow this and 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 you sure. know, put you on sure. tenure track. Yeah, Robert Jackson Fellowship Program. That'd be great. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Brett. Um, so let me let me let me get to um, let me get to a couple of different things that some callers wanted me to run by you. First of all, you were so great with us last week in talking about what happened with the Superior Court, which is the trial court uh, ju- uh, judgment from Catherine Cooper, Judge Catherine Cooper, on the school mask mandates from the legislature, etc. You said it'll go to the Supreme Court of the state rapidly, and it has, right? What's the up? Is, is there any status update on that? Yes, yes. And, and first off, obviously, uh, I want to do a shout out to uh, Maura Cisco, who listens to you religiously Aww. every every time I'm on. And <laughs> sends me a text about how well you do. So it's all about you, not me. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's so kind. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, that's but, great. We got one. <laughs> we one have one, sure. and, <laughs> right. and, and her husband for sure. We got two. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's two. Yeah. <laughs> right. we're not at saturation <laughs> point yet, but we have to start somewhere. That's exactly. Okay. Um, so, Judge Cooper, I, I was right for once um, that you know the Supreme Court did take it up immediately. Um, in fact, uh, accepted uh, jurisdiction and is going to hold oral argument on November second. So that issue will be resolved really quickly. Obviously, when you get those type of stakeholders uh, in, into, into the Supreme Court, both the executive branch and legislature, and you're talking about revenue and taxes, it's important to the Supreme Court. So I'm glad to see that they took the case. Um, whether or not they resolve it quickly, obviously, is a different question. Um, but we know for sure by November 2nd, they'll at least uh, hold uh, oral argument hearing on that matter. So we'll... Uh, yet to be decided. Nothing, the arguments haven't really changed that that much, and so now it's up to the Supreme Court. Uh, and you said oral arguments will be November second. November second. Okay. Okay. Great. And so we'll know soon enough when exactly. you see headlines like the one I'm looking at: mask mandate ban tossed. Not yet. Not That's yet. Right. Right. That, well, not 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 yet completely. Not Judge yet Cooper's, completely. Uh, they did not say, let me back up real quick, the okay. Supreme Court did not stay her ruling. Right. Which means Fair that it, it, technically it is tossed until the Supreme Court uh, makes its final decision. Right. It's pende lit. Is that how you say it? 
Exactly. Do you? Is that right? Did I get it yeah, right the I first think, time? I think that's right. <laughs> you and I will That's the Eastern Latin pronunciation anyway. Yeah. Okay. Pende- yeah, exactly. le- pending litigation. All right. Well, one of the calls that, that you, you, uh, you, you uh, spurred on last time you were with us was from uh, a listener who said, well, what, what can states do in suing the federal government when it's not mandates like this, which were state law or came from the state legislature, but mandates, for instance, like one that may or may not ever eventuate from the OSHA, from OSHA. But what can the state do to protect its interests against incursions into the Constitution from the federal government? That was basically the question. Yeah, and no problem. And so there there are, I think, about 21 governors have already said that when that uh, the eventual mandate comes out by OSHA, um, and they'll issue what's called an emergency temporary standard. And when that happens, uh, the governors will get together and sue. Um, however, our, our attorney general has already sued. Uh, he sued on a very narrow um, argument that basically illegal immigrants are coming across the border. There was no mandate to vaccinate them. Um, yet uh, there was obviously the OSHA and the de- declared, declared mandate to uh, for, for U.S. citizens to have to be vaccinated to keep employment. So he brought in an equal um, protection argument um, that is currently pending before uh, Judge Mike Liberty, actually. And um, and that's not yet gotten a lot of traction yet, so we'll see where that goes. But uh, we are waiting for, for once OSHA issues those standards. Um, er- almost every state has a way of implementing OSHA standards that are federal across the board, and then the state implements them. And then because of that, the state has a hook to basically bring a lawsuit, and it goes directly to, in our case, unfortunately or unfortunately, the Ninth Circuit um, that bypasses the judges at the trial court level to determine whether or not uh, OSHA has properly issued that emergency uh, temporary standard. So what we're expecting is, is that multiple states will probably bring their own action in various circuits. And what that will lead to is potentially a, a difference of opinion between circuits, which helps the Supreme Court and the U.S. Supreme Court eventually take the case and decide it once and for all. There's what's called a split between circuits. That's one of the reasons why the Supreme Court takes a case. So that's what we're expecting. But we're still waiting for OSHA, and it might be a while. It Again, may not happen, might, even. I mean, it might it, not happen. I, I mean, my own observation is that, you know, even the threat of it has already encouraged a lot of behavior in compliance with it. I was looking at United Airlines the other day. I think Southwest is going the same way. And then I don't mean to sing, exactly. single out airlines, but a lot of companies are already complying as if. Absolutely. Which may and have been the point. Right, and I think it was the point. Um, then you you compound that with um, the the government contractor mandate that they and and fortunately or unfortunately, again um, in the United States, a lot of people do business with the government. Yep. You know, um, yep. the government is the number one customer in the country for sure, the federal government, and they've issued their own mandate that says if you are a government contractor, you will follow these these requirements. Again, the devils in the details that have not been published yet. And so government contractors, including Arizona's attorney general, um, is looking at ways that that would be also unconstitutional or a violation of contract law. And what that basically says, just just like the OSHA mandate, if you have over 100 employees, um, you will you will mandate uh, mandate uh, vaccination for your employees. Now, it's a much more difficult 
thing. This is a question, not a statement. It's a much more difficult thing for an individual to sue the federal government than for a state to do so on a violation of a right, isn't it? I mean, I'm going back way too long in my education to know this stuff for sure. That's why I'm asking you. It, it, that, it, that's it, my it memory. Is. I mean, yeah. well, right, but you, you, you always still need standing, right? Mm-hmm. And so the standing is, is that this impacts Seth Leibson. And so at least Seth is going to be impacted by that. And if Seth's constitutional rights are violated, that means others are being violated. So you always need that, I don't want to say token plaintiff, but you need a plaintiff that can say this is impacting me unfairly. And usually in this context, it's going to be probably a company or an entity. But what we saw before under some of the COVID-19 mandates where OSHA did come out with an emergency temporary standard was in regard to the healthcare community, where they said all nurses, right. doctors, et cetera, had to be vaccinated. And in that case, the, the, in, in California, of all places, the Nursing Association uh, brought a lawsuit saying that that OSHA regulation was not valid. I got so, you. But, but that's still going through the process, and again, not going to necessarily impact about what President Biden did here. Well, Brett, that was a great tour. Our Robert Jackson, legal scholar in residence. Thank you, Brett. I really appreciate it. You're wonderful. Thank you, Seth. And Thanks good. For and, and 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 I'm wishing well, we're wishing well. Who, Mr. and Mrs. Cisco? Yes, it's Cisco, Mr. and Mrs. Cisco. Perfect. Thank you very much. Great, right. Professor Johnson. God bless you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We'll Take talk care. soon. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, do many of you know the artist Ted DeGrazia, local artist, uh, passed away, I don't know, 20 years or so ago, uh, famous for his drawings of children, little children. Uh, fascinating. I, I love his artwork. I have a little bit of it. Uh, I saw something of his somewhere that reminded me of this. I had no idea. I was just learning about him a little more after I saw a painting. I had no idea he was a... Uh, well-established, if not well-known, I guess not well-known, but a well-established professional trumpet player in uh, the New York jazz scene in the 30s and 40s. I didn't know that. I think that's interesting. I was just put in mind of that with uh, that that intro. Uh, What I was talking about earlier in the first hour, majority rights, minority rights, free speech rights, which kind of guarantee the minority, their ability to redress the government and to have their rights protected and to persuade potential future majorities. This is the engine, as Benjamin Cardoza said, this is the engine of how democracy works through the First Amendment. Free government, in other words, it's impossible if political minorities who lose an election try to overthrow the government every time they lose. It makes it impossible. But it's equally, if not more impossible, if the political majority sets out to punish minorities for their minority viewpoints. That's even worse because that's totalitarian tyranny. Thomas Jefferson taught us this in his first inaugural in 1800, which was really the first time in world history not just American history, but I'm pretty sure world history, that an entire different viewpoint via election, an entirely different political set of opinions via election changed the powers of government. Adams versus Jefferson, Federalist versus Democratic Republican. And 
That's when Jefferson said in his inaugural, all too will bear in mind the sacred principle that though the will of the majority is in all cases to prevail, that will to be rightful must be reasonable and that the minority possess their equal rights, which equal law must protect and to violate would be oppression. Joe Biden, Merrick Garland, check out Monticello. I don't even know if Jefferson's still allowed to be quoted. Is Lincoln? Is our Constitution? There's been a war about these things. We saw a war about it last summer. We saw a war about it with the 1619 Project ongoing. We are seeing a war over this with Attorney General Merrick Garland's latest dissemination. We see it in our colleges, in our elementary, in our secondary schools, even to the extent of taking Lincoln's name off of these schools. Well, I'll just end by quoting Daniel Borston. You can't be anti-American and expect America. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.